0: In today's episode, we open our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 28. In this last chapter of Acts, Paul and his fellow travelers find themselves on the island of Malta, where they are met with kindness by the locals. But when Paul miraculously survives a snake bite, the islanders regard him as a divinely favored person. So Paul goes on to heal the father of the chief official on the island, solidifying his reputation as a man of God. And eventually arriving in Rome, Paul's house arrest allows him to continue preaching and sharing his Christian beliefs with both Jews and Gentiles. Good morning, and blessed Pentecost today is Tuesday, June third, and you're li- June fifth. Pardon me, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. But this morning, I'm welcoming back to the show the Reverend Kevin Parvis. He's the pastor of Congregation Kaiva Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri. Good morning, Pastor. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word.
1: Good morning, Pastor Boo. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great
0: better than I deserve, just sort of uh, enjoying the more temperate weather here in the, in Minnesota. Uh, it was a hundred yesterday, but I think it's going to be eighty today, so that's going to feel pretty comfortable. How are things with you down in St. Louis?
1: Well, it's still St. Louis here, so it's uh but things are good you know things are good.
0: Well, excellent. Well, I'm glad to have you back on the program. And also, you're here on an auspicious occasion because we're going to be finishing up a book today. We're going to be wrapping up the book of Acts with chapter 28. Lots of good stuff for us to get into today. But before we do, would you start our time together off in prayer, please?
1: Sure. Abba Father, we thank and praise you for this day and for the medium of radio and the internet and the opportunity to um, share your word with those who, even in out of our eyesight, are listening to it, and your Holy Spirit is anointing for understanding. We pray, Father, that you would continue to pour out that Spirit upon all of us and anoint us for understanding of your word, and help us to know what it is you desire us to learn today from this verse. In Jesus' name, B'Shem Yeshua, Amen.
0: Oh, Amen, brother. Well, here we are, Acts twenty eight. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't really know how you wanna take it from here, so I'm just gonna kinda let you go, maybe catch the folks up, whatever you wanna do to get us started, um, before we read anything, maybe just uh set the groundwork for us,
1: please. Well, that's dangerous because there's a lot of text here. But um there you know, is. certainly Paul Paul is uh has been arrested has been sent to Rome and in you know on his way of course the mediterranean is a uh, it's a fickle fickle maiden uh, they they've been in a shipwreck um it, it's very much the kind of job situation here uh in a, in a lot of ways and they uh now are on malta and I find, you know, I, I found it interesting in your in your uh, intro because you said that the uh, residents of Malta, especially after he had been bitten by the viper, uh, saw him as a, a godly man. But in fact, they think he's God, and at least that's what the text read for me. So I'll be interested to explore that with you. Uh, but Paul is, uh, you know, obviously God through all the tribulation that Paul is going through on this ship ride to Rome. And he's on his way to, you know, arrest, imprisonment, and probably, uh, as we will find out, uh, he, he may or may not know this, but he's under a death sentence. And uh, that's, and yet he is not deterred. He is continuing to share his faith, and he's doing what he's always done, and he's calling people back to the gospel.
0: Well, let's see what he specifically does and has to say as we read our text for this morning. It's going to be chapter 28 from the English Standard Version. After we were brought safely through, we learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. All right, let's pause right there at the sixth. That's uh, the him being a god shows up there in chapter six. I'm sorry, verse six. But just starting at the top, they're shipwrecked, and Paul is um, really almost murdered because they the soldiers wanted to kill all the prisoners on the ship. But the centurion, he's, he favors Paul. He... he orders all of them to jump overboard and then that's how they ended up on the land and they find out that's this place called malta about 58 miles south of sicily so uh tell us how it go breaks down here show us
1: well i'm fascinated by i I, you know it's interesting whenever we uh whenever i teach the book of acts over the number of years i've done that people always I, i think we have it in our heads and i think it's because of our our uh, experience in missionary work overseas on islands where we think of these people as uh when we it says the native people we think of them as uh you know superstitious and all of that and yet these people all have roman names and as you put it it's pretty close right. south of sicily in the roman empire the the religion i i would presume that they are it's it's not a quote native or a, 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 what, what is an animist religion as as often native cultures have it's probably the pantheon of roman gods and uh and yet they see the soldiers coming and it, i think it's pretty clear that paul is under guard he's a prisoner and so when he collects the sticks and, and throws it on the fire and this viper latches onto his hand they recognize yes he's a he must be under under guard for, for murder he must be a murderer uh, and the sea could have taken him but you know again the pantheon of roman gods there's gods of the sea they didn't the sea didn't you know he, he was not saved from the sea justice is going to be done they're killing him he's getting his due reward and then it looks like paul just like like it's a mosquito bite just shakes it off right and uh and keep in mind that uh viper is is uh how um how uh oh my goodness cleopatra was was killed right so this is a deadly snake and uh they thought sure he was dead but he just shook it off like it was a mosquito bite and they're waiting for him to suddenly fall down dead and they waited a long time and saw nothing come to him, so they changed their minds about him, and then they think that he's a god. Uh, and of course, it's who knows what's the pantheon? What kind of there's there's major and minor gods uh, in the pantheon, but they see him as someone who is um, certainly supernatural and more than a human being.
0: Well, a couple of things I want to point out, and going all the way back to two, you mentioned the native people. The word there isn't native people, though, is it? It's kind of like a barbarians, I guess, is one yeah, way we could translate right. it directly. Uh, people who don't speak, um, I guess, Greek, the language, right? I think that's—so
1: it's, it's a yeah, foreign people that the they Germans find. Were, the Germans were the barbarians to the Romans.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. Right. So it's just sort of
1: outsiders
0: is what it's referring to. Yeah. And, you know, and I know there's no way for you to know, but I'm just wondering what you think. Uh, The whole incident with the snake, is this one of those, you know, he he shakes it off and and God's protecting him? Or is this just sort of uh, the the snake really didn't get a big hold of him and he just sort of shook him off and it was really nothing to him. But the local people were making much more out of it than than it should have been.
1: Now, I think this is absolutely, I mean, if you look at this entire, I mean, the entire book of Acts with regard to Paul, he has been supernaturally restored or saved so many times because God has a purpose for Paul, and it is to go to Rome and preach the gospel in Rome. And so I, I suspect this viper is a, is a deadly creature. Uh, but, and, and God, I mean, Paul just seems unfazed, which is kind of weird, but then with when you've been through everything that Paul has been through, it's, <laughs> probably, it's probably nothing for him. He knows where God is calling him to. He knows this is what his, what, what his purpose is. And so he is undeterred and focused on Rome and uh, just kind of moves on. But the people around him, and of course God always uses um, even miraculous things, but even, even things that we don't often consider to be miracles, uh, he uses those things to testify to his greatness.
0: You talk about the Pantheon too, though. They they say no doubt this man is a murderer because justice has not allowed him to live, even though
1: of course right. he hadn't died There's yet. But god.
0: Yeah. yeah, justice is a god, not just sort of the concept of justice. At least that's how I would see it. That's how you see it too.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So then he, that's why they think then he must be one of these, you know, maybe lesser gods or or maybe a god in human form or they just sort of obviously based on this pantheon of gods where there are lesser gods and greater gods and and new ones all the time. Um yeah, they they're definitely curious about this guy. Well,
1: um let's keep reading. I think Go what? Ahead. Just quickly, what what stands out to me here though is this is not the first time that Paul has been considered to be a god. Uh, no. or any of the disciples, right? But they always make a, a real point. No, I am not a God. Do not worship me. And they, they use this time to proclaim the real God. And that doesn't seem to happen here. Now, again, we can't argue from the absence of it. Uh, and if we take what Paul normally does, you would think that he would have, you know, set their minds aright right away. Uh, but it, I mean, there's just a transition into seven, and it moved, and the text moves on. So it's, that's an interesting, you know, if we look at scripture interpreting scripture, that Paul does not usually allow people it, it to have the delusion that he's a god.
0: Well, and and for good, right, too, and because there are charlatans out there who are proclaiming okay. that they're gods or have the power of God. I think back in Acts chapter eight, uh, Simon, right, the magician. It says there that they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. Um, and then, of course, as you said, Paul himself, Acts 14, verse 11, it says, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices in Lyconian. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. So it, it's it's not unreasonable, though, that the people are thinking that the disciples are God-like because they're going around doing things that only god can do sometimes Um, i mean in this case you believe and i I would agree with you that god has protected him from this snake but that doesn't seem exclusive to just deities Uh, but when they're healing people or or you know uh, causing people to uh, exercising demons from people or causing people to be able to stand who couldn't walk those kinds of things we typically say well obviously god's doing that through them So if we had no theology to make us understand that God works through instruments, then obviously you're going to say, yeah, that person's a God. And that makes sense. Yep. So let's keep on reading, starting with verse 7. It says, Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius... Lay sick with a fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and put his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. And they also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Um, so you brought up earlier, oh, that's the end of verse ten. You brought up earlier how they must have seen him with these soldiers and thought, well, this guy is a prisoner. And then it was confirmed by the snake bite. But now that they think he's a god, I'm just speculating. I wonder what they thought about the guards then. Did they think that the guards were guarding this deity? It makes me wonder.
1: Yeah, me too. And I, you know, I, and I also I, I forgot to mention this. And I'm sure you have brought this up, and I know you have in other chapters, but. The first-person narrative is really interesting here, especially if if we understand it to be correctly, Luke, right, who is traveling with Paul. um, And Luke is a doctor, and here's Paul doing the doctor's work. Uh, Oh,
0: yeah, I didn't think
1: of that. Yeah.
0: So, so he's, he's doctoring stuff and Luke is there. That's interesting. Of course, I'm sure Luke is also doing whatever he can do, too. Sure. But yeah, yeah it's, but that is, that's an interesting uh, aspect. I didn't think of it. Well, but Publius or Publius, or I don't know how you actually would say that name, but his dad is sick and he's healed. And of course, as always happens, whenever Jesus healed people or the disciples start to heal people, word gets around. People are yep. very interested in what they can benefit from in the here and now. Um, and that's right. just sort of human nature. Like, that's great, God, that you did whatever for me, but what have you done for me lately? And so it seems like people are more impressed by the ability to heal a cold or a more serious disease um, than they are by the fact that you know God has redeemed us from our, our sins and, and promised us an eternity with him. And so I say all that to say this, we see this today. We see people who look and are clamoring around these types of divine actions, uh, and they forget the the main purpose of God.
1: Yeah, and I think I think you know certainly much like prophecy in in these kinds of healing miracles that you know I don't dispute continue to happen uh, uh, today, even amongst some people. You know, I, I have uh, talked to Lutheran missionaries in India who have who have uh, seen miraculous healings. Uh, and yet we also, you know, our Western mind wants to doubt that because there's so many charlatans who claim this kind of stuff. But the reality is, just like prophecy and healing, there is a now and a not yet. And, you know, we may or may not be healed now. I, I, I uh, you know, I sometimes struggle with that. I have some, some issues that people keep praying healing for me. And, uh, and, you know, God continues to heal me, I suppose. I'm still here talking to you on the radio. But, um, you know, I, I'm convinced that the healing is also not yet. It is coming. It is a perfect healing. And that's, that's the thing I think people want to see what they can get now without even realizing that the healing that we have through God in Christ is, is eternal and permanent.
0: Oh, indeed, and so much greater than even earthly healing. And And even when the disciples and Jesus healed... They certainly healed out of their compassion, obviously, but they healed also to to support the proclamation of the gospel. So I'm with you. I don't disagree that miraculous healings continue to uh, happen today. God continues to heal people in that way. But I definitely don't think this is something God wants us to expect from him, Um, nor should they have expected every time the apostles rolled in that they were going to do a bunch of faith healing because obviously the point is, this eternal healing that you mentioned more than just temporal healing. But that's something that I think we can have... reflect on when we're in the hospital with our loved one. And we're saying, God, you know, if, if you're so good, why don't you heal my, my mother, my daughter, my, my yeah. grandfather or whatever it is.
1: And, and, you know, I'm, I'm reminded too, that, you know, even though God uh, through Christ, uh, Christ resurrected Lazarus from the tomb, which I think would have ticked him off to be honest with you, but that's neither here nor there. You know, Lazarus still died, and even if we're healed in the present, we're still going to die. You know, life is a mortal disease. We're not going to, you know, unless we live to hear the trumpets blown and Jesus return, we're going to die. But the comfort we have is not that, but that we're going to live again and we're going to be healed permanently.
0: It's funny that you bring up, uh, O Lazarus, because I am in complete agreement with you that I, he was ticked off. <laughs> I think he yeah. popped out of that that cave, and he stunketh, as the King James said, and he's just yeah. like, what's this about? Now, the worst part, the punishment for sin is death, and I have to go through that again. I'm sure man, it was more was complicated just, than that. but
1: Man, I was just chilling, and now I have to come back. Uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Oh, well is right. But he got to be with Jesus a little longer. Of course, he gets to be with Jesus forever, but he has to go through death again. And that's I have yeah, always thought about that. But yeah, so here healing people because people think, well, uh, a long life is a good life, right? What I need to have a good life is to live as absolutely long as I can. And I just don't think that's a, a natural reaction, a logical reaction, or even a Christian response to faith. I mean, to, to life. No, I think I think we live a good life so long as God gives us that life, whether it be long or short. Yes. Anything else about this section?
1: Uh, no, I think I think one of the things that we also need to reflect on is that when God does do miracles, like you know, I don't think the raising of Lazarus was for Lazarus; it was for right, Mary, Martha, and those who saw it. And so, these and miracles, yes, they do benefit the person who happens to be miraculously healed, I suppose. But it really is a testimony of God's power over nature. And a a witness of the resurrection that we always need to look at for those who observe it.
0: Well, exactly. I mean, the father of Publius here, he lay sick with fever and dysentery. Well, that's probably a virus and obviously related to contaminated water or food. That might happen to him again, right? That's not going to be a permanent. Now, sometimes you see like someone's born blind and they're given the ability to see, and that seems a little more long lasting. But you're 100 percent right. All of these things we need to look at, not as, well, if I have enough faith or I ask the right way, God's going to heal us, too. But more of, you know, this is God showing the fact that he has power over these things. And therefore, we can trust that when he says we live with him forever, it's going to happen for sure.
1: Yeah, they're, they're witnesses to the resurrection. Exactly. It's exactly what it is. I
0: love it. Well, I tell you what, why don't we set sail from Malta um, in verse 11 and head to Rome? Here we go. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Putoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Apius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Okay, pausing there at the end of sixteen. So we have a lot of places mentioned here. I, I messed up a couple of their names, but uh, uh, these are places I think the readers would have known, but probably could use some explanation for us today.
1: I mean, it's it's just uh, they're in and around the peninsula that is Italy, and uh, they finally put in they they make uh, they make you know a. a, a Docking, and then they're they're there for three days, and then they go around, and you know they have to get to where they need to go, and when they get to Pideoli, uh there they find I love the the word here, which is brothers, uh, and and again I don't think you know we should uh, dismiss the idea, frankly, as I didn't I didn't want to forget this that there's a reason why um, I think Luke mentions the twin gods as a figurehead. It's not. You know when things are in the scriptures that we can say they're descriptive and it's there to show us uh, stuff, but also there is always this, I think, this conflict between the one true God and the false gods, and that's brought up again here by Luke as he talks about Paulus and Castor here. Um, but so that you know there is, but then he gets into um, Puteoli and there he finds the brothers, and I, I got to think these are part and parcel of the church that received his letter to the Romans uh, um, um, as he continues to write it. Uh, it, it there's, a, there's a church already happening in Italy. This is not something that, you know, Paul began. I think I always make the point that the church in Rome probably started at, at the first Pentecost when Jewish believers who came to faith in Jesus through Peter and the Holy Spirit Went went home and started as a new church. That's who Paul writes to. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you know he was. Uh, I just love that he's made this circuit. The descriptions here are, are important. You can see his missionary journey and where he goes into Syracuse and then into Regium and then into Puteoli and and from there it's a, it's across land to Rome.
0: And that's where he'd been desiring to go, and yet here he goes under, uh, I guess, house arrest, or he's actually under arrest, waiting trial before Caesar. And uh, yeah, you're right. He talks about the brothers, and of course some modern translations want to expand this to brothers and sisters, and it it does work. That does work. That is true. But I like the fact that the original Greek just says brothers here, Adelphos. Uh, because I think it does connect in a way of that image of the twin gods, right? Castor and Pollux, you know, they're brothers, they're twin brothers uh, in the sky. Yeah. And then here there are brothers. It's like he's finding his own twins. He's finding the the saints there and they're comforting and tending to him. Um, and then he's allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So that's a little convoluted. But basically he's not thrown in prison, which is uh, it means that despite – the fact that he's traveling because he's under arrest, he has quite a bit of freedom at this point.
1: And and Paul is staying in house arrest. I mean, he he apparently has the resources to, to have a place to live. He's going to do this for a number of years and, uh, and, and have the resources in order to do that with just the guard. Clearly Paul is not a danger. Uh, and so at least the Romans consider him, even though the Jews certainly think he's a danger. Um, but yeah, it's just it's um if if I, I never want to forget that Paul at the end of all this loses his head, but um but the time that he's spending in Rome is is profitable for the gospel.
0: Well, and if God can protect him from a serpent out of the fire, then he can certainly protect him while he's in Rome to make sure he does his will there. I tell you what, why don't we take a pause? Just maybe go listen to a few messages while we think about what we've talked about so far. But folks, don't worry when we come back. Pastor Parvis and I will keep on going with verse 17 through the end of the chapter. See you on the other side. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and with me today is the Reverend Kevin Parvis. He's the pastor of Congregation Kaiva Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri. Before we get back to our text, I just want to take a moment to say thank you. I am so blessed that I have each of you with me this morning as we study the book of Acts. We finish up the book of Acts. I also love hearing from you. Um, If you want to ask any questions or just say hello, maybe you want to reach out to one of my guests. You can reach me by emailing pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Or you can find me, Phil Boo, on Facebook. Just say hello, ask a question, make a comment. But when you do, let me know where you're listening from and how you connect to the show over the air podcast online at KFU.org or using the kfuo app. I'm always interested. So let's head back to the Bible. Pastor Parvis, uh, we were just sort of finishing as Paul kind of has gotten into Rome. He's got some freedom. He's allowed to, you know, move around with some sort of autonomy. And by doing so, he's going to first go to the Jews. But before we even read any of that, is there anything else you want the people to know?
1: I think we're ready to go.
0: Let's go. So it's interesting, I think he goes to the Jews because, well, that's why he's in chains in the first place is because of different sets of Jews. So let's see how it goes down.
1: After and we should three
0: days...
1: Sorry, I guess we should also preface this with his, theme verse of the Book of Romans, This, even though he calls himself apostle to the Gentiles, and properly so, he always seems to go to the synagogue and the Jews first, and his heart through the Book of Romans is very clear about that. And so he calls these people together.
0: Yeah, and, and I think their response is, well, interesting. Let's just see it. So I'm going to read yeah. through yeah. verse uh, 22. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation." he goes to the Jews as is his custom, right? You, we brought that out, uh, but he basically says what he's been saying, and that is, I'm arrested because of the hope that we've all had in the Messiah coming. He's come, and that's why I'm in chains. I mean, he, I think there's part of Paul that even though he was a persecutor of the church, just doesn't can't get his mind around now that he's been given faith how he didn't see it before and how his fellow Jews don't see it now. You know, Christ Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's come. Isn't that what we've been waiting on? Why are we rejecting it? That seems to be his attitude here.
1: Yeah, and I you know, I couldn't in many ways relate to that. I didn't come to faith in Christ until I was in my mid 30s. And I was a student of the scriptures and I could not understand how in the world I could have been so blind all those years. And it made so much sense after I had faith. The Hebrew scriptures made so much more sense. And I, you know, I can see that in Paul. And, and you know, I, I think it's important to say that the brothers down here in 14 are, are li- even, adept, the word is Adelphoi. But I think the implication is that those are brothers in Christ. And he uses the same word, Luke uses the same word for them here, these brothers who are not in Christ. And so Paul right. feels this very strong kinship to his own people, um, as well as, I mean, he, he the whole Jew and Gentile, I mean, he will say there is no Jew or Gentile in Christ. Uh, but this, this this tension that he feels, of being one of the Jewish people and yet outside because of Christ. It's got to be very hard. It's very hard for most Jewish believers, I think.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of ways to think about being a brother, right? So we're brothers and sisters in Christ. You can be brothers and sisters with siblings, you know, it's just by family. Uh, you can just have yeah. a buddy who's a brother. And then, of course, here it's a kinship of ethnicity or nationality, however you want to look at it. Yeah, and and I think he wants them to be brothers. It, it's almost like he's trying to speak right. into reality the situation. Like, you are my brothers, so you should be my brothers, <laughs> you know, and and— Paul's desire to reach to the Jews, despite him being sent to the Gentiles, is so evident in all of his writings. Um, I don't think it's that he's resisting the Lord's call, certainly not, but at the same time, he has a heart, so he has a a primary mission and a heart for his own people, and I think that's where we are today. None of us should ever say, well, I'm just sort of sent to the people in this area, or I'm just just the people who God puts into my life, or, oh, I'm just going to go across the seas and reach them, but I'm not worried about anybody else. I, I think, no, you may be called to particular people, but you have a duty to all people to proclaim yeah. the truth of Christ. Yeah.
1: And and their recalcitrance, I mean, yeah, we'll read the rest of this, this chapter, but, you know, his obvious he's he's here in chains because of Christ and because the Jews have rejected Christ in Jerusalem and uh and yet it doesn't dissuade him which is so encouraging to us especially in our ministry who witness to Jewish people and yet uh, the the, the I I just received uh two letters this week from Jewish people who uh were really I mean of course it was anonymous but they were really objecting in, in in frankly not very nice ways um, uh, to our ministry, and it's just so demoralizing and yet Paul just keeps going he's under us i'm I'm under no threat of death, you know there's nothing they can do to me I'm not concerned right uh, and yet he has to get that rejection and uh and paul yet even though I'm sure he feels that sense of rejection, he just keeps going and i gotta I gotta give it to him, man.
0: I want to hear a little bit more about your own experience. Um, You know, I've been friends with people who've done like uh, Apple of His Eye and other types of ministries. Tell us just a little bit more about what you just said, the people who are upset that you're ministering with sort of an emphasis on Hebrews.
1: Well, it's just, I mean, there are certainly, I mean, you know, I, I helped to begin Apple of His Eye. I'm still working here in Missouri with Apple of His Eye. Uh, Burning Bush Ministries is our national ministry, um, mm-hmm. and our ministry is a, is intentional witness to the Jewish people as well as teaching in the church. But um, the the heart, the, the, the Jewish heart is so hard, and when we're coming up on the High Holy Days. It is the time when if any Jewish person is truly going to be open to any kind of spiritual conversation, this is the time for it. And yet it's just so difficult because there's such a cultural animosity to Christianity because of a lot of things. You know, they will cite the Holocaust. They will cite the, the uh, Spanish Inquisition and all kinds of other historical events uh, and anti-Semitism throughout the, the ages. But um, I just really believe that, you know, someone asked me once, why does the world hate the Jews so much because they're so persecuted? I, I honestly believe that, you know, the, the prince of this world, Satan, has, is, is, has got people in his grip, and he takes it out of the Jews because it was a Jew who defeated him. Uh, Jesus, who became a Jew, you know, God became man in a Jewish, in a Jewish culture— and defeated Satan and Satan takes it out on the Jews ever since, and he's got their hearts so hardened that it just becomes very hard to uh I mean you know they don't throw rocks I mean at least in this country I know our <laughs> right. workers in Israel actually get stoned on occasion, uh, hopefully not to death, but it does happen uh, you know they'll throw rocks at, at the visionaries in Israel. Here it's just dirty looks and derision and anonymous mm. letters, uh, and and you know that's just a sad thing, but we have to recognize this is a spiritual battle. It's not. It becomes. I have to work so hard, not to personify the rejection in the person who's rejecting me, right? Uh, and, and take it out on that person in my heart, um, because it's not him. It's not him or her. It's Satan. Uh, who is who is blinding these people? I mean, the scriptures are so clear about Christ, Hebrew and New Testament scriptures, uh, and yet uh, the blindness and the cultural hardness is so hard that it's just a real challenge, and it becomes very, it can become pretty demoralizing. I I am very grateful for the people who work with our ministry um, because they don't, you know, it's. it's, it's it's not a numbers game. They know that. And that's just the way we we work.
0: Yeah, I don't mean this too seriously, but it reminds me like your ministry is kind of the opposite of Paul's. You know, he's sent to the Gentiles but cares deeply for the Jews, and you've been sent to the Jews, and obviously you still yeah. minister to Gentiles too. So yeah, we're grateful we for your work.
1: Yeah, oh, thank you. Thank you, Pastor. But
0: but but so they say to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you. Nobody's been talking bad about you here, which yeah. is I guess good to hear. And it seems to me, and correct me if I've gotten the wrong idea, but they seem a lot more understanding, even Berean, right? We desire to hear from you what your views are. Yeah. Um we we've heard about you and these Christians or the way or whatever they would have called it, and we and we know that everybody's against it, but we want to hear about it. And that's that's sort of where we ended. I want to pick up with 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through through Isaiah the prophet, and here's the quote, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Uh, End quote. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen, Paul said. So just, we're going to save the last two verses. So he he does convince them, and he uses, of course, the scriptures. Some of them come to faith, not because they were convinced by reason, but of course the Holy Spirit brings them to faith. The others resist it. Uh, but still, we see here Paul acting in a very convincing manner, using rhetoric, using logic, using the scriptures. Um, even though the Holy Spirit does all the work, I think Paul sets a good example for us here. He'd spent plenty of time patiently going through the Word with these people to bring them to faith.
1: Yeah, this is a great uh, defense for apologetics. Apologetics are not intended to bring people to faith, but to tear down the barriers that prevent people from hearing the Holy Spirit. Yes. And I think that's what Paul is doing. And for some, they they had that barrier removed, and they came to faith. Uh, and that's a real blessing because that's that's what we do, you know. All along, the prophets testify about me, uh, and that's you know with Jewish people, that's what you can't use the New Testament. They're not going to listen to the New Testament. They very rarely listen to the Hebrew scriptures these days. I don't know what the deal is there, but um, uh, yeah. Well, neither do Christians,
0: all, for what it's worth.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, and and I love this quote because this is the theme verse for our ministry here in Missouri when I started this congregation um, we had to come up with a theme verse and it was Isaiah 6 and when you think about Isaiah and that in that coming coming to Jesus moment if you will uh, he knows his sin he knows he's in the presence of God he is convicted of his sin and he cannot stand being in the presence of God because he knows he cannot stand being in the presence of God. And the angel takes a call and touches him on the lips and heals him. And he's so excited when God says, whom shall I send? He says, send me, here am I, the And then so he's so excited about about his, his sin being forgiven, being in the presence of God. God calls him into ministry. He says, here am I, send me. And then he sends him with this call. And this is the same call that we have since that time. These people will be hard-hearted, hard-hearing. They will not understand, but you still go and proclaim to them. And, uh, and Paul does that, even though, as he says, I have, been, I have been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen, and praise God they do. Um, uh, but, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't keep us from going and telling, even though their eyes are shut and their ears are plugged and their heart is hard.
0: Yeah, it seems like they were open to listening. And then, of course, when some people started to come to faith, there must have been some disagreement there. But it was these words of Isaiah that – or to Isaiah in this case – that um, really, frankly, is the one that set them off. That's what really made them disagree amongst themselves is when he said, you guys, some of you, are uh, not hearing the word. But that's something that has been happening, well, since Isaiah and all the way to today. I think it's the nature of the human heart to resist the word. So he's not really being, um, I guess, uh, mean or hateful toward them. He's just proclaiming the truth that the natural man does not accept the things of God.
1: Well, and understand, too, that that the Jewish people, Isaiah is their big prophet. Uh, You know, the whole—so— um this, this reminder, you know, it, it's funny, this time of the year with the high holidays upon us uh, and this at, attempt by the Jewish community, those who at least are spiritually attuned, to desperately try to do good works to please God, when in fact Isaiah himself said all of our righteous acts are filthy rags. And you remind people of that, and it leaves us bereft without Christ. Uh, there is no. If that's the case, that nothing we do can satisfy God, then what's the point? If it isn't for Jesus, and that's where you got to get people to, and that's what Paul is trying to do. I mean, the law has its purpose, and it is to kill that right. that that stubborn human heart that does not want to, that wants to rely upon ourselves and not listen to the word of God.
0: Yeah, I mean, the fact that they got upset at this is very natural. Lex semper accusa, right? The law always accuses us. You can't handle the law of God without getting cut. And that's because, you know, of not God, right? The law is good, but because of our own sin in the presence of him. But you can do two things with that. You can get mad and take your ball and go home and remain in sin. Or you can just say, Lord, to whom else shall I go? I have nowhere else to go. You know, yeah. yeah, I am a poor, miserable sinner, right? I I believe, help my unbelief, one of my favorite yep. verses. So yep. um, anything else here? I mean, really, we're about at the end. I'm just going to read the last two verses. Uh, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Um, the early church, uh, early church fathers, I believe, were pretty convinced that he had been released from his Roman imprisonment and traveled for a few more years, and he would have written some of the other letters, like the pastoral letters. Um, Eventually, he's martyred under Nero, but uh, is that what you hold to here, that he's he's pretty much freed to do what he wants at this point?
1: Yeah, at some point, yeah. And I I think, one of the things I think that we have to remember, uh, which, you know, this particular text doesn't bring it out, but the whole book of Acts Testifies to this um, that it's not all about just Paul. These early, right. these Jewish believers who came to faith uh, in, in back in verse twenty, whatever it is, twenty three and following, you know they are not just sitting on their new faith and not sharing it. And Paul, you know, all kinds of people are coming to Paul here at the end in, this, in the end of the book, um, and probably Jewish as well as Gentile. He's apparently, at least at this point, is not able yet to go out. So uh, he welcomes all who comes to him. But people are coming to him, and he's proclaiming daily the word of God. And uh, and people are coming to faith, and then they go out. And they can t- they are not under house arrest. They can share the gospel. Uh, and so it's, a, it's the whole church. It's not just about, you know, the pastor who is the one who has to go do the evangelism. The whole church goes out and de- and does this work.
0: Oh, what a beautiful image of what continues today, right? I mean, the pastor isn't the one who does all the work for the church just because he's on the payroll. You know, he he rem- he remains in a place where people can find the Lord. He shares with them the Lord's message, equips the saints for the work of ministry. We see that happening even with Paul Uh of course, we're not in prison, thankfully, but even if we should become imprisoned, it means that we have no excuse not to be actively working for the Lord. Amen. Well, we are getting, uh, well, we got about five or six minutes uh, left to make sure we have some time here to bring out anything else about this text or anything else you want the people to know.
1: I just think I, I would like to share that, you know, starting next week— especially if you're listening and you have Jewish friends or Jewish relatives or you live in a Jewish community, Um, next week is Rosh Hashanah. It's the beginning of the Feast of Trumpets, which, you know, one of the things that I teach is that the three fall festivals are a great picture of the time to come when the trumpets will blow, the dead in Christ will rise, we will come together with them in the air and meet him and he will come down and there is a sorting that happens a judgment uh that's yom kippur and then we will live eternally with him in our heavenly home and that's the coat these three festivals are great pictures of what we have to look forward to in, in the time to come but in the meantime now is the time to share uh share our faith because when that sorting happens it's too late and so uh you know As Paul did, as these first believers did, as we continue to do in the 2,000-plus years. Since then, keep sharing your faith, and now is the time to do that. One of the things that I think is really helpful uh, is uh, understand that the New Testament is very Jewish. This book of life that that the Jewish people believe that God is— hopefully writing their names into is is what the New Testament and John refers to as the Lamb's Book of Life. And it's a great time to testify that that your friends can know that their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life if they would receive the Lord Jesus as their Messiah. And uh, now's the time to do that. So uh, we do that in a lot of different ways. If you need help doing that, you can give me a call and I'd be glad to, to walk you through that and help you out with whatever you need to do.
0: Amen, brother, and you would definitely be one of the ones that could help them out greatly. Uh, and if you, don't want to, if you do want to reach out and ask some questions of my guest, um, I invite you to send me an email. I'll pass them along and uh, make sure that he gets back to you. <laughs> so, uh, brother, well, I appreciate you being on the show today. I think we'll start bringing it to a close then. Um, I think that what we find here throughout the book of Acts and i love how you brought this up and that is that it isn't just about paul in fact it's not about paul at all <laughs> it is it's about jesus but even beyond it being about jesus it's about paul and the other apostles and disciples the people on the ground even the people who are willing to hear paul out as opposed to just run him out of town we see yeah. in acts not a prescription for how we must do church but a description of how i think we continue to face troubles in this life, I, I I believe the culture is regressive, not progressive. I think the, the the epistles of the New Testament are becoming more and more applicable today without any changes at all, just because of the nature of mankind. Do you see that too? Oh,
1: yeah, absolutely. In fact, people wanting to hear what their itching ears want to hear is is going on more and more, especially even in the church.
0: Indeed, and we have to be very careful about that, and about ourselves, too. We, we mustn't get bored of the gospel. We must remain understanding like, yeah, okay, we might have a better appreciation of it than someone else, but now it just means that we have a duty to that person to bring them along. So there's nothing to yeah, get bored of. You always have something to do.
1: You know, it's funny. One of the challenges I have as, as being a pastor of the same congregation for 26 or 7 years now is, I, you know, when I'm preparing to, to preach. I preach these texts so many times to this group of people. (laughs) What do I have new to say? And then the Holy Spirit always says, you have nothing new to say. Stick to the Word. That's right. It's the
0: same message every Sunday for 20-some years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love it, and and I'm grateful for your faithfulness and the faithfulness of all the pastors and missionaries out there working hard to spread the gospel of Jesus. Um, This uh, ends our study of Acts, and I'm glad you were here for us for the last chapter.
1: And thank you, Pastor. It's good to, good to talk with you today.
0: Folks, that was the Reverend Kevin Parvis. He's the pastor of Congregation Kyla Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri. Now, tomorrow, you're going to want to be here because we begin a brand new series on First and Second Peter. Uh, these two letters were written by the Apostle Peter. He wrote to encourage believers who were facing persecution and to warn them about false teachers, something that we definitely need to pay attention to today. He reminded them of their identity in Christ and urged them to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. But most importantly, he gave them hope for the future, pointing to the day that Jesus will return and create a new heaven and a new earth. First and Second Peter are full of practical wisdom and spiritual insights that will help you follow Jesus more closely and to share his love with others. That's what we're going to start tomorrow. Be here for it. I hope you are. So until then... May God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.